on chapter 16, the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, it is another turning point to another topic. This is not on your outline, but I just want to quickly go over this. Remember, oftentimes I mention the Paul's letter to the Corinthian Christians almost sounds like we could replace the word Corinthians with Californians because it is really messy. In the earlier days uh, in my Christian growth, when I read 1 Corinthians, my impression was, man, this is one messed up church. And now I look at it as, wow, thank God for this messed up church because we're so messed up in many ways in Californian churches as well. With all the brokenness and immaturity going on in Corinthian church, their pride, number one issue actually, was that they thought of themselves spiritual people with supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit and supernatural experiences and phenomena at their church gatherings, they really thought they're better off. And they're actually more powerful than Apostle who introduced them to Christ, Apostle Paul, and kind of became suspicious about the weak apostle. The type of person that they really wanted was the people who are, appear to be powerful, not only powerful speaker, but powerful in many different senses, in such a way that in our days, TV evangelists, televangelists would appear to be. On the other hand, Paul has a keen, in his spiritual discernment. So look at all these topics that he uh, answers in those le in, the, in his letter, division, immaturity, and even challenge against his apostleship, incest, sexual immorality, lawsuit between the believers, and singleness in marriage and divorce and uh, meat offered to idols. It's a gray area to eat or not to eat. Uh, head coverings, which is about gender roles. Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, and then the question on the resurrection. We spent six messages on chapter 15. Do you remember last Sunday, we ended with the crescendo. Oh, that, where is your victory? Oh, that, where is your sting? And he declared, proclaimed, the victory in Christ for all those who are in Christ, that our body will be, shall be changed in a twinkling of an eye. How glorious that picture is. But did you know, or you probably know, but let's remind ourselves this was a whole letter without chapters and verses on, on it. So when you're reading chapter 15, 
without the verse division and chapter division, he goes with the now concerning the collections for saints. The idea is this. As he's answering this, the underlying question was, what is really truly spiritual? And Paul's bringing this up, maybe somewhat intentionally, because he's talking about being diligent in the work of the Lord. And part of that mundaneness of this handling money, offering, collection for the saints who are in need, in Paul's eyes, and we should look at it this way also too, truly spiritual. So here's a couple of things we need to do before we delve into the text itself. One of them is, what's the need? And the other one is, what is this so significant about this, this collection? The need is because of the famine and ongoing persecution, many Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, and from this point on, you know, when I mention the Jerusalem church, we should think about the vast majority of them were Jewish Christians, Jewish believers who believed in Judaism turned into the way, the New Testament way, the first way of uh, referring to the Christianity, simply the way. They were devastatingly poor because of all this. And some scholars will say that and not only it's a persecution, but the way that church really dealt with whatever the offering they received. Remember, in the very early beginning of that is almost everyone brought entire possessions at the feet of the apostles. But with much of a planning, they say they gave it away to the poor, to distribute to the widows, and the persecution came, and now they are in a devastatingly poor and great need. Now, this might not be wise financial planning, but God in sovereignty uses this need to draw his people into his purpose. And we will see that even more and more. So in light of that, the significances and ramification of this collection at least from Paul's eyes, I could name at least four. Number one is to encourage giving, charitable giving, to help other churches or other believers in need. That's most straightforward, practical, pragmatic reason. And this was a drive in the beginning. I mean, at least upon the surface. But Paul took that as an opportunity for spiritual lessons, for furtherance of God's kingdom. So the number two reason is to bring greater unity among the Jewish and Gentile churches. Remember one of the important things that we need to do when we are reading the text, we need to put ourselves into the context and see it from the participants point of view. 
from Jewish point of view, the Jewish were chosen people, the people of God. And all non-Jews were Gentiles, the foreigners, the sojourners, and just the non-selected, elected people of God. So they really didn't think, even having been uh, changed by the gospel of Christ and believing Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah, they really thought in order for not Gentiles to be one of them, one of the Christian community, they need to first become Jew first and then become Christian community together. So Paul had very much of an ongoing tension with Judaizers, people who emphasized so much of dietary, uh, ceremonial cleaning process and uh, what to eat and what not to eat, even our days now. Some of you guys know that if your friends are Jewish people and Jewish friends who are very devoted into the Judaism, they will strictly, strictly eat only kosher food. But in, in light of all this, from Jewish Christians' point of view, the Gentiles were still foreigners and sojourners. And what Paul is doing is bring this unity closer to break down the wall and prejudice and even bring the legitimacy of Gentile believers as a one family of God. Number three, it is to urge Gentile churches to pay back a spiritual debt that they owe. In Romans 5, 15, verse 27, is that you share in material blessings as you have been received spiritual blessings from Jewish Christians. So challenge was very straightforward. Number four and final one is uh, to make a testimony to the unsaved world. When, when they saw this love and volunteer giving, giving the unsaving world, unsaved world will see it, the love of Christ. But it's more precisely for the Jewish unbelievers, hardened Jewish unbelievers. Why? Paul is very keenly aware of this prophecy in Isaiah 66, verse 18 to 21, talks about the all nations coming to Jerusalem, and blessings, Abrahamic covenant. Because of Abraham's Abrahamic covenant, blessing is extended to the, to the Gentiles and their coming. And we're very familiar with the fact that God had planned from the beginning. But from Jewish point of view, seeing these things, Paul was hoping and trying to call for repentance from Jewish unbelievers. So that's a context. What I'd like to focus on the remainders of our time is taking the text, ask simply this one question. 
What principles, practical principles, can we draw from this passage? Verse 1 through 4, for giving, grace giving, New Testament giving, giving in our everyday church life. There are at least five. This is not a necessarily the comprehensive list at all because this text deals with very specific need and instruction, but it is so beneficial and, and rich. Here's the first practical principle. Giving is to be done by every believer in Christ. Verse 1 again. Now concerning the collection for the saints. And he's actually referring to the, the Jewish believers who are poor, who are struggling, who are in great need in Jerusalem. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. So notice that one of the first thing that he brings up is a Galatian church. As Galatian church participate in this, you should also, because you belong to Christ church as well, Corinthian church. And he, if he has a chance to say it in our times, in, there, in, that, in this kind of similar need, Apostle Paul will also say, Crossway Church, you also, along with Galatian Church, Corinthian Church, must participate in giving. Small church, large church, mega church, and a very family church like us. Wealthy church in Newport Beach, and not so wealthy church in other urban area. And personally, not just rich people, people who are having a great career and wealthy people, but also people who are retired, unemployed, people who are struggling financially, and including our kids. This is one of the convictions that I had uh, with our kids. And we, we practiced a couple of times, few times, just uh, to teach them to give. But parents, listen to me. You could discern what age it will be. There are age that we need to start teaching them about giving. If we count them as the member of Crossway Church, member of the body of Christ, they're one of every believer. And I'm thankful for my mom. When I was young, maybe junior years, taught me about offering and tithing. I had an allowance, and she taught me how to set aside my one-tenth of my allowance. And then she will prepare envelope, and she will prepare the crisp bank account of money to put it in and every Sunday. And from that point on, I really thought of my stewardship. Everything that I have and I own actually belongs to God. You see, 
before we are emotionally convinced, actual bodily obedience will bring back the realizations in our heart. And some of you who grew up in non-Christian family, and some of you who really lived as a non-Christian for long, one of the most difficult things is this giving. Your suspicions about all these preachers and all these organizations who are just very dishonest. And I, 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 I give you that. But listen to the passage. You give to the Lord, not to a person, not to even need. Ultimately, offer unto God is God's command. So I'll be talking to our, uh, our Crossway Kids Ministry and, uh, and our, our kids as well. Would you think about it? Would you take, the, take some time to have this conversation with your kids? Even if it, they, they bring a dollar or, or, or uh, some older kids it would be $5 or put it in the envelope so that they learn. And they let them put it in. Don't put it in them. Uh, in the offering bus for, for them. Number two principle, giving is to be done regularly. Now same verse, but let's focus on the verse two on the first day of, day of every week. That is Jewish expression and New Testament's expression of Sunday. So Western mind, uh, even our calendar sometimes uh, organized that way. First, first, week, first day of week seems to be a Monday, right? So weekend is on to Sunday. But actually, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And seventh day, he rested was a Saturday. Saturday is a Sabbath day, as you all know. And then Sunday... On the, on the first day of the week, the Lord Jesus was risen from the dead. Hence, the title, The Lord's Day. And the new Christians and Christian family community gathered together on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings to celebrate the resurrection of Christ and worship God. And there was a traditional time the Jewish believers also went to synagogue on Saturdays and kept Sabbath also too. But eventually the Gentile believers gathered together on Lord's Day. Aside from the fact that it's just a Sunday, which means the, the day of worship, public worship, but it is every week. The question that you could ask is, is does that mean we have to do, we have to give every week? I get paycheck every other week, or I get income summary, you know, once a month or something. The key idea is doing it, giving it regularly and consistently as a forethought rather than afterthought. And some of us, once again, because of that suspicion and 
uh, disillusionment. Why? Why do you have to give? Actually, number three principle covers that. We're going to hold on to that. But I, listen to this. When, when we think about giving, one of the most dangerous attitudes, a cynical attitude we need to get rid of, we need to catch ourselves. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need your money. If any kind of reluctance, any kind of hesitance, don't give. And I don't know whether we're going to stay like this forever, but from the very beginning, that principle is clear. We need to give. I'm spilling over to other principles. But basically, reluctance is not a really... We're not supposed to be forced or pressures to give. And we, we've seen that, right? That looking for dollar bills, you know, offering plate is coming. And, and by accident, someone picked $100 bill. What do I do? You have to put it back in and look for God doesn't need our money. It is actually for ourselves. Giving is a part of worship to recognize that everything that we belong to us is belongs to God. And Jesus says very insightfully, you want to give your heart to God? Just watch your treasures. Where your treasure is, your heart is also as well. So for those of you... Um, who are just starting off your new family and new, new career, saying, oh, our family doesn't have money for now, so I'm going to give my talent and time. Yes, that's a good idea, but you cannot get away from this giving tr your treasures. Do, do you remember when, Paul, uh, when, when, when Jesus was watching the collect offering box in Luke chapter 12, and other Gospels also too. The rich people would come with silver coins and lots of coins and then putting in an offering like a jar, you could hear like almost like a Las Vegas kind of thing, right? <laughs> On top of that, actually, Pharisees declared that they're coming because they don't want to be touched by unclean people. So everybody knows Pharisee and wealthy person coming. And to Jesus' eyes, that was displeasing. But here's a widow who puts two copper coins. It's merely two pennies. But Jesus knew it was all she had. And said, that woman gave more than anyone else. See, God doesn't need our money. God needs our trust and complete surrender of our hearts to him. That is true worship, isn't it? Number three, giving is to be done deliberately 
and willingly. Same verse, uh, verse 2. Now focus on, let's focus on each one of you is to put something aside. You have to be deliberate, intentional, not on the spot. And then Apostle Paul wisely said, so that there will be no collection when I come. Why? Because there will be pressure, emotional plea, external pressure. Do it willingly, deliberately, voluntarily. Some of you remember Exodus uh, study. Remember the Israelites in Egypt, they're all slaves. And everything that they had to do was by force. I mean, coercion, right? And 20, 25, in the building of Tabernacle, the Lord's instruction to Moses was, let everyone whose heart moves them. That's kind of, you know, long, indirect way of saying, Hebrew way of saying, anyone who desires to give, let those people give voluntarily. So think about it. If you're slaves, you don't have to give. But if you love the Lord, give to the Lord. To build this all, the, the tabernacle, the furnitures of tabernacle. In the same way, Proverbs 3, verse 9, the idea is similar to what we've been talking about. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of you produce. The deliberateness is actually this idea of a first fruits. Why set aside every first day, first day of every week? Because if you wait until last day, it might not be there anymore. We all experienced that. We had good, good well-meaning attitude and I'm going to do it. But this week, uh, this month, uh, we have uh, our kids have a Boy Scouts and camping and all these expenditures. So we'll wait. But by the time is one month is passed away and second month is passed away, how do you catch up? We run away from that idea of giving. And the guilt-driven. That's a bad way of living Christian life. And once again, I reiterate, if you have any compulsion and pressures at Crossway, do not give. God does not receive that giving. Let's think about this preparedness a little bit. Um, so I want, I want to be willing. You know, the compulsive... Uh, givers, or the compulsive spenders, also too. So when you go to when you go to places and and even you know shopping mall, if you don't have a preparedness, I'm gonna spend this much and you know budget will be this much. And otherwise, you end up, especially with a nowadays with credit card, doesn't look like a real money. So I'm gonna worry about it later, kind of thing. So let's say you give even compulsively a lot at that moment. 
But because your prepared hardness is not there, it's just eating you up after the service, the whole week and second week. You're groaning over the fact that you have given too much. Ah. It is really dangerous. You know why? Because the church leadership could be, could make a mistake, could do this and that. And as soon as we see that, we take that as a rationalization. Excuses to not give and even demand our money back from certain churches. I'm not negating the fact that church is responsible, accounted by our Lord Jesus. Believe me, that's one of the principles that we're going to talk about. But the idea is a deliberate preparedness and willingness. Number four, giving is to be done proportionally and cheerfully. The same verse, to put something aside regular basis meant some type of proportion. Especially in those days, a lot of their income was a daily income and then weekly income they need to set aside. And nowadays, uh, all different kinds of career is there and that your actual income doesn't come until you make the sale, you receive some type of bonus or something. But still, the, in spite of all that, the idea is a proportion has to be set aside. And that phrase, as he may prosper. And there's the idea that God loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, 7. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I know some of you guys grew up in church and very uh, learned a good lesson of tithing. And you're going to say, yeah, 10%. That's what I do every, every month. And you need to hold on for a sec. The Old Testament is clear about this prescription of tithing. The New Testament is silent. The, by silent, New Testament doesn't say, do away with the tithing. Don't do it. No, that's silent also too. And if you look at the idea of tithing in the Old Testament, it is part of the mandate and law and the taxation also too. But if you look at the New Testament, in this setting, their giving was far more than 10% because there is need everywhere. And they are to share in the family of God. The danger of sticking to 10% and saying, my job is done, is this. 10% is God. I must not steal God's. But 90%? Mine! 
mine. I'm going to play with this money. I'm going to do this for my pleasure. And that's how, how some may just lead up to thinking. Everything we receive have come, come from God. Everything we own, the true owner is God. And hence the idea of a stewardship. God has given those treasures and your possessions and your house and your car and your money and your well-blossoming career, financial success, is a stewardship. What if God sits on the CEO or CFO seat and desires to do what he desires to do? The picture becomes a little different, right? So you know why Jesus said that where your treasure is, your heart is also? Because it, it's easiest to say, I believe you, I trust you, you are my rock and you are my salvation. Until we see the money. And the suspicion and, and the skepticism is that if I give money, it will hurt a lot. And I have to live in a very mean means of life. Very, it's going to be a lean month. In God's point of view, if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. If you belong to Crossway, you should know this principle by experience. From day one, we hadn't raised any fund for any kind of church plan. You know, within two years, vast majority of the churches closed their door, mainly because financially it's not survivable. Especially the full-time pastor cannot even have the enough, enough income to live with his family. Our church has never had that problem. Why? We have this idea, let's trust, recklessly abandon our, our hearts and our treasure to God, trusting that God will provide. It just boggles my mind. And every this past Sunday, Monday was our leadership team meeting. The first agenda is let's look over our church finance. And then they kind of, you know, think that I'm too anal about asking the same question: What's the checking balance? Fifty k, close to sixty k. How did that become like? What? Whoa! We have that reservoir. Most people think that our church, remember I say, and I go to pastor's meeting, and they'll say, how many people do you have? And I said, uh, under 100, including kids, half of them are kids. And then the, they look kind of, feel sorry for me. And, oh, they, some, some of them don't know what to say. Some of them say, must be hard for you. How do you survive? Do you have any organization to support you? I really believe God has taught us. God's provision is plentiful. 
you know, one of the elders, you look at the budget and regular giving. For some reason, because I can't really figure out why, we are over 2,500 over, over budget, our regular giving. Some of the brothers and sisters learned this lesson. And we need to continue to learn and share the joy and the cheerfulness of giving. Having said about tithing, I think if you went through uh, seven principles, biblical principles of giving, our home group leaders and our elders have given this uh, lesson in your, in your home group community. If you haven't, this is, might be the first time looking at it. Randy Alcone, any, anything he wrote about uh, uh, money, it's just very solid and publicly. And even the thin book that he wrote is very good. And this is from his, one of his books. The tithe is a way to get us started on the path of Christian giving. It is not the finish line of giving, but only the starting blocks. Tithing is the training wheels of giving. I love that expression. When you're writing for the first time, you need training wheels. Steady bicyclist no longer needs training wheels, but wobbly bicyclists do. If they don't have training wheels, they won't learn to ride. Likewise, most people who never learn to tide never really learn to give. Obviously, we need those training wheels. Fifth and last principle is that giving is to be handled with accountability and integrity. Verse 3 and 4 now. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Did you realize this? Did you see this? Paul was very intentional about releasing the delivery duty for the collection. Why? For the integrity. He doesn't want to give even room of suspicion. He basically, you collected, you're not giving it to me. I'm not carrying that. But I would like you to choose among you trustworthy men, reliable people with the letter so that they could take the money to Jerusalem church. If you think it's advisable that I should go also, I will accompany them. They are the deliverer, the person who's making the delivery. I will accompany them. Paul's wisdom is subtle, but it's something that we really need to learn. Because any organization has any kind of suspicion about collection, the fundraising, or building campaign, or any kind of week-to-week offering basis. If there is a question mark, even, 
integrity, how money is spent, and it's really not transparent. The trustworthiness of name of God is tamed, tamed, tinted with just a foggy idea of disillusionment. So at our church, from day one, we are practicing this, not because, you know, I'm so um, man of integrity no matter what, but because I know the human nature, fallen nature, our elders do not reveal any uh, offering or giving information to me. And I actually ask them to, not to. It really doesn't, and I distance myself from that. I submit to our elders for any kind of compensation that I receive as a full-time pastor at Crossway. In terms of our uh, elders who are carrying the collection weekly and are responsible, I know one particular that do not enjoy it at all, does not enjoy it at all. So we created another, another leader to do it together. The question is, if we have people have a CPA and the people are, could run big business with the you know, accounting department, the whole thing head up, and they're very smart with money and, and you know, financial consultant and all that, the first and foremost sign that we are looking for is their walk with God. The trustworthiness of their, their character, integrity. So let me use this time to reveal that uh, you know, David Lee, the team leader of the half marathon, you know, thank, in the email said, thank you leadership team for generous giving $2,000. Our, our church has given. We have decided as a leadership team to funnel that, the proportion of it. It's, it almost sounded like we out of pocket and gave. No, we didn't do that. Just wanted to make clear. And by your generosity and your obedience to God, our missions, uh, special missions for, for this year, it's close to 15K, right? 15,000, that's incredible. And I'm so delighted to just break the news to Bo and Cindy as they're kind of coming here and for the, the restoration and refreshment, they decide to stay in Orange County near, near us uh, to be part of our community again during their home assignment. Altogether, they're staying here seven months in the States, but two months. So we look to the housing, hotel, a long-term stay, all that. It's a lot of money. Unless we have that money, it will be very difficult to even accommodate their two-month stay with three little kids and their knees and go on and on. We will reveal and our elders will, are working on the, the report, financial report, sometime beginning of June, 
you will receive an email and then we will be transparent about how the money has been spent and including the, uh, our financial status as a church as well. Um, it doesn't take evil person to become just a bit dishonest or rationalize. So that's why the wisdom of Paul here is he's putting the preventive mode first. So when even our churches are counting the offering uh, box at the end of the service, there's usually a couple of people rather than just one person doing it everything. There are three people involved in that process of looking at the QuickBook uh, and reporting together. So once again, this is the wise wisdom and principle that we're trying to follow. I close with this idea. Some of you want to have a deeper spirituality, intimacy with God. Some of you really desire God's blessings upon your life. Look no further than your own pocketbook. And make some serious, thoughtful decisions to express your gratitude to, to give in grace of God and to commit to this giving biblically. Do not give to the people. And even the idea of, uh, maybe I should mention this, on the very first day of every week, that idea gives, the primary place for giving is a local church. In our suspicious, um, skeptical generation, once the control of giving, and then uh, to this missionary, I'm going to give this much. To this organization, charitable gift, I'm going to give you this much. And to this person that I think that they need help, I'm going to give this much. This is having the control and power, which is not biblical at all. Does that mean that everything has to be given to church or only? Of course not. You ought to support and give generously to the missionaries and to the, to the needs as well. But the central attitude is part of your trusting with God is giving to your local church. So may the Lord continually teach us how generous he is, how rich he is, and how much benefit we could receive when we become cheerful giver and follow these five biblical principles.